Hello, welcome to the next episode of the Challenge the Podcast. Uh, once again, joined by my friend Jakub, and we're going to start from a couple of different other you know, things that we usually don't talk about. One of them will be, well, we actually do talk about questions from uh, listeners and uh, retirements, so I'm not sure what I'm talking about. But yeah, let's just start with Andrea Seppi, right? Yeah, Andrea Seppi has announced that he's going to retire at the end of the season. <laughs> Uh, it's been a great long career. I was very surprised to find out that he only has three ATP titles. I thought that he must have more, uh, but three uh, between 2011 and 2012, three different surfaces as well, clay, grass, and indoor hardcourt, which is pretty interesting. Uh, and I also find it interesting that he's, you know, three and seven on the ATP circuit in finals, but he was 10 and three on the challenger tour where he was much more dominant in the finals. Of course, he was a very talented player. So uh, it was probably easier for him to uh, play against lower ranked players. Uh, but yeah, 10 challenge titles that he had between 2008 and 2021 in Biela, where he won his presumably last one. Um, yeah, what do you, what do you, what will you remember Andreas said before? Maximizing his potential. That that's for sure. Uh, that that this is really a guy who did all he could i think with the, with the game that he had and there's a lot of respect for that in in me uh in regards to seppi for sure i remember a lot of his good matches against federer even he even if he was like one and 15 in that rivalry or something he often gave him trouble and he mm-hmm. you know he had this sort of game to to start uh you know that sometimes made federer league errors uh he Probably is going to play Ortisei. I saw him as uh, alternate, as a, as the fifth alternate on the entry list for the main row. I don't think he signed up for the qualies, uh, but I'm assuming even if he doesn't get in, though, they're gonna give him wild cards, uh, which is a topic oh, as well. Yeah, but, that, yeah. On to some controversy. Uh, he just put on his Instagram story right before we started uh, that he wished to actually play Florence and Napoli, but the Italian Tennis Federation wouldn't allow him a wild card. Uh, due to the reason that they don't want to quote unquote waste a wild card on a retiring player, which I think is pretty controversial because I mean, you you only like mo- for the most part, you see wild cards either for players that are coming up or for players that are sort of going down, uh, reaching towards the uh, end of their career. Of course, otherwise, you know, you, you have, you have uh, wild cards for, for big players at the challenger tour, like top 50 players. Um, laid in trees as well, but this is very interesting to me. What, what were your thoughts on it? I saw a lot of people already saying that this is, you know, it shouldn't be like that. And in general, I agree. I think he deserves one, though I also can understand that, you know, I'm just looking at who got the wildcards in Florence or not, or Naples. And mm-hmm. we've got uh, Nardi, Koboli, and who is the third? Is there only two wildcards? There's just two wildcards in an ATP 250 main row? No. I mean, in, in Florence, I can see that there's a Pieri, Passaro, and Maestrelli. And in uh, Naples, there's Nardi, Koboli, and I'm not sure who the third wildcard is. I, I don't know. This is, this is a little weird. Anyhow. Bertini. Bertini is a, is oh, Bertini is a wildcard, of course, because he has a seat as well. Yeah. And if mm-hmm. you're going to give the wildcards to players like that, then I think that's sort of fair. I wouldn't like, I wouldn't give Seppi uh, both a wildcard to Florence and to Naples. 
but I would um, make him choose one. Uh, he probably yeah, deserves I... it. Although, you know, Italy, they have so many players to handle wildcards too, and young players. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if he would be willing to play qualifying or or get a qualifying wildcard, but their qualifying wildcard selection, I think, I mean, they, they gave on to Stefano Napolitano. Wouldn't he get uh, in, though? Like, I, I, I think he would probably get in to qualifying, wouldn't he? I think I think it's three hundred ish in the rankings now. One hundred fifty seven, so sure. uh, from what I'm seeing now, and Naples. Yeah, he would have easily got yeah, in, into Naples. So. Yeah, he like just didn't want to play qualities. Yeah, that's yeah. It's it's interesting, but I definitely hope that we get to see Menotti say. Uh, on my side, I will remember him uh, for those two matches with Nick Kyrgios that had that he had the oh, yeah. uh, he had the Australian Open. Both bangers, 2015 and 2017, incredible matches. I also remember him from the Virtua Tennis 4 video game uh, that he was in. That was one of my earlier introductions. What was his specialty? Like varied or something like that, right? I'm pretty sure it was like variety or something. Yeah, yeah, varied play or something like that. Yeah, I played played that game too. Although Seppi was like the worst possible peak there, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I always played with hard hitter on that on that video game. Uh, Delpo was Delpo was pretty cool. I remember. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, those are sort of the the two main things that I'll definitely always remember him for. Well, that's uh, fair. I think that leads us to a listener question that we have. Uh, I also uh, just one more thing. I wanted to mention that uh, Seppi won or say twice. So I think yes. it's like his yeah, best. Uh, yeah, it's like his best event on the Challenger Tour. So maybe I mean he always fared extremely well when flat heating was rewarded and like slick conditions. So uh, that would make sense if he had some sort of a run there. Although you know he, he's not the biggest of servers, and say I think is just as fast as things like Ismaning. I can tell. I can tell was Ismaning is. Yeah, but as you said, we have a listener question. Yeah, I actually don't know what I'm talking about. He, he he did play qualifying in Florence. I don't know why that escaped me. He played qualifying in Florence. Yeah, he, he lost to uh, Mikhail Imed in the in the first qualifying round of Florence. I don't know about... Are you right? Naples. No, Naples, he, he just didn't sign up, no. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we can move on to the listener question. Would you like to read it out? Oh, sure. I have not... Uh opened it up but uh, it was yeah uh once again thanks thanks to Jan for sending it over uh we are very grateful and the question is who has surprised you the most and who has been the most disappointing until now this season uh I think we will you know sort of take it as a challenger question as well uh, mm-hmm. because that makes sense and uh yeah so maybe we can start with the surprise who has i mean, positively surprised you the, the yeah. most this year i mean i feel like there's only one answer in this for me and that has to be yibing Wu. um obviously he, he hadn't played for <laughs> years coming into this season uh which is weird to say but but it's true uh, and for him to blow up the way that he has, it's been unbelievable. Of course, we'll talk about him later uh, in this episode as well. But 40 and 7 on the season, with most of those losses being uh, retirement losses, that is insane to me. Um, he's getting closer and closer to that top 100. We'll see who wins the race between him and Zhi and Zhang. Uh, they're both inching ever so close to that threshold. Uh, but yeah, do you have a different answer for most yeah. surprising player? 
Actually, oh. I do. Mostly as before 2022, I had very little knowledge about Ibn Kuo's game. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sure I must have watched a match or two back in 2019, but you know, I didn't remember him like at all. I just knew who he was and like knew the story, but not the game. So I actually chose guys who just completely surprised me with their progress and also with how their game developed. And one of them is the aforementioned Jia Zhang. Uh, oh. Because honestly, when in 2019 people were like, yeah, this guy is going to break the top 100, I never saw it. And especially with how he played most of the first half of the season, then he just comes out and you can suddenly, I mean, I, I suddenly saw all the all the talent, all the incredible ball striking that he has. And you know, I never, never really had this sort of, opinion about him before never figured he was a top 100 caliber talent now i honestly think he's like a, you know, he can get to like top 50 and it's it's wild for me and the other one would be francesco passaro mm -hmm. uh, whom yeah I, I just remembered him from one match in 2021 when he lost to popco in three sets whatever you know one of the italian challenger cities i don't remember which and yeah, it, it was a pretty fun match, but the way he just, he couldn't accelerate of any ball, literally. He was just a complete grinder. You know, the match was fun. There were a lot of long, long rallies, uh, but still to, to see him develop into such a well-balanced player this year. And uh, yeah, it, it just completely stunned me. And uh, that's why I chose him and Junk over Ibing Wu because I simply had no idea about Ibing Wu. Mm. Yeah, that, that is a very, very fair argument. Um, yeah, what are we thinking for most disappointing? I'll, I'll go first. I feel like mm -hmm. for me, that's also a pretty easy decision. I have to say, Andre Martin. Uh, I, I was sort of going back to our uh, last year's wrap up episode just to check who I sort of thought was going to go up. Uh, but uh, something that I noticed <laughs> uh, as, as I was looking through my notes for that episode was that I picked Andre Martin five times last year. Uh, <laughs> as a, as a, of course, he didn't deliver on any of them, but he did have a 40 win season. He was a very solid tennis player for, for most of that season, had a bunch of semifinals, of course, at that massive run in Belgrade where he took a set off Djokovic. Uh, in the semis and this season even even before the doping suspension which i've not heard any updates on it was, it was just the agency is going to try and uh apparently they're gathering ever evidence to to overturn it his agency that represents him of course this season he's been like so horrible outside of that one random heilbronn run uh it was just one time that he re that they had back-to-back -back wins all year so 10 and 20 on the year. Very disappointing for sure. I'm a little surprised by this peak because honestly, in 2021, we were constantly shitting on Andre, or maybe I was constantly shitting on Andre Martin's form. Uh, but well, he had a 40 win season, sure, but he also played like 38 events. Uh, yeah, but I mean, he 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 was like a consistent player. He he was in the semis a lot. He was in the quarters a lot for sure. Sure, he won uh, like two quarterfinals in 2022, like all year. It's it's very disappointing. Okay, I did not expect that, but that's fair. 
Um, I had some trouble picking here. Uh, I thought of Henry Laksonen, but then again, did I really think he was going to stay at like the 90-ish ranking? Probably not. Although I didn't think he was going to be so dire. Uh, there are a lot of players who fell down the rankings, but I'm like you know, not really disappointed in them or anything. Uh, again, I just didn't, maybe I didn't think they were going to be there for, for long anyway. And I think I just have to go uh, like you and for your countrymen. I think I also have to do that and just go for Kasper Zhuk. Uh, mm-hmm. Simply because no matter, I mean, Ismaning the semi that we're going to talk about in the, I don't know, in, a, in 30 or 40 minutes or something. Uh, it kind of clouds my judgment, I think, right now. But overall, before, especially before this week, this was a big uh, step back in, in Zhuk's career. And as someone who thought that, you know, maybe he can make a, like a top 100 push, stay there for like a month or two, probably, but still uh, get somewhere around those uh, those levels, maybe in 2022 or 2023, he feels much further from it uh, right now than he was in 2021. So that would probably have to be my pick. Although uh, I'm like, you know, with the, with the surprises, it came naturally to me. And with uh, the guys who disappointed, I, I like really had to look for it and convince myself for, for an explanation. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree that it's easier to pick somebody who's surprised you pleasantly rather than disappointed you because you have to you know you have to go back you have to re-examine what your expectations were of these different players and stuff uh but yeah i, I have to agree with joke it's it's been mostly a dire season although it is you know looking up this is a good uh time of the season for him so oh yeah we will see what we can do uh down the stretch here uh, uh yeah i think we can go on to our tournaments that we have had this week starting in seoul with litu the champion finally he delivers uh beating yibing wu 7-6-6-4 for his first challenger title he started back in qualifying with wins over cho and sasikumar mukund in the main draw he beat uchida nakagawa o'connell with his only uh drop set of, of the of the week then he beat james duckworth and yibing wu up 102 spots, number 190, breaking the top 200. Yeah, it's it's, it's been a it's been an interesting season for Wu. Of course, um, really strong on the futures circuit, uh, as he was last season. Obviously, <laughs> 79 wins is insane. Um, but he had 79 really wins. I think on. includes his UTR runs, by the way, because he only started. Oh, oh, yeah, he only started playing ITFs in August, but yeah, as you said, he had a terrific record there. Yeah, either way, um, this was his real breakout run on the Challenger Tour. What did you think of him this week? Yeah, um, as this is Litu's first Challenger title and suddenly, well, I wanted to say everyone is talking about him. Everyone is a stretch, of course, but more and more people are talking about him. I think, uh, and I'm trying, I'm going to try to make this very short, but there are a few points from his history that need to be reminded of the way he uh, basically gave up tennis first at the age of like 16, then came back to it at the age of 18 and then retired for six years, which is absolutely crazy. Uh, he was coaching juniors in that time, not even training professionally, 
And then, yeah, we, we mentioned UTRs and yes, yeah, in, in 2020, he just fought because he was playing some local league and he fought, you know, who cares? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do something in these UTR events. The pandemic was obviously, uh, a factor and most of the Australians were staying at, on the continent, uh, especially the, the guys who were playing Futures. And yeah, Litu was so good in them that he got a wild card to the Australian Open only through UTR events, which is just crazy because right now we think of UTRs only as betting vessels and uh, you know, a way for players who are extremely low ranked to earn decent money and yet uh Litu just got an Australian Open wildcard main draw because of his performance in them and yeah then came to uh Europe Af Europe and Africa I guess because he played a lot in Monastir in August 2021 after playing just three professional matches since 2014 Australian Open Melbourne ATP 250 and like a first round ITF uh in 2020 I think on grass just before the pandemic and yeah, and, and and since then he's gotten here. He won. He he just broke in the top two hundred, and as he said, he never. You know, he, his period of starting out on the Challenger Tour was really tough. Uh, he was losing to players that I don't think we were expecting him to, based on his uh, on his ITF results, like Miguel Damas, um, who else? Keegan Smith. The, the, these were really worrying losses. Uh, in terms of his his prospects to actually do well on the Challenger Tour, that it's a big gap, it's a big uh, uh, change, it's a big improvement that you need to make uh, in your game, and all of the players have failed to do that. And to see him just because even the first four matches he played here, because he he obviously he started out as a qualifier in Seoul, uh, he the, even the first four matches told us. You know, didn't tell us much. It was a fine win over Uchida, a fine win over Nakagawa, but that's you know, these weren't players that we were thinking of as potential contenders or anything. And then he just comes out and beats O'Connell, Duckworth, and Wu, which is just insane. Did well both on the attack, on the defense this this week, some incredible rallies against Wu. He's so resilient. The, the backhand slice held up so well. And this is actually a, a way for him, I think, to save that shot from getting targeted so much because it used to be, or it will be probably as well in, in his challenger playing days. Uh, fantastic run. Also, there was this story which he told at the post match, you know, how they got trophy ceremony and uh about his mom dying recently and i think she would have had her birthday in like one or two days from now so he he dedicated that to her and really you know some sometimes uh a player just wins a tournament because there's some sort of magic involved and i, and I think this time uh it, it was something like that like litu just couldn't lose this yeah i mean it's a magical ending for a magical story that he's had the only uh, thing that's close at all to the sort of story I can think of is Philip Polashek, who obviously retired for a number of years, was in a similar position where he was just a regular coach at a club, coaching juniors who, I mean, they weren't the top juniors in the country, even they were sort of very <laughs> average players. And then yeah. he just, something possesses him to to try and pick it up again and then go higher than they have ever gone before. It's, it's really an, an amazing thing in the sport, for sure.
Uh, we need to definitely talk about Yibing Wu as well, suffering his first loss in the challenger final, uh, fifth final, <laughs> first loss. Uh, this week, very strong for him after we had some doubts about him after uh, his performance last week in, in Guangzhou. He came out, beat Radu Albot, then Stebe, Svrčina, uh, Mike Hrzak, 6-4 in the third. Still moves up 21 spots, number 115, uh, exactly 100 points away from the top 100 as it stands right now. What did you think of Yibing Wu? Uh, and do you think he can break the top 100 by the end of the season? Uh, depends on the scheduling. I'm honestly a bit afraid for him because, yeah, with his track record with injuries, it's always been very tough. And right now, if he you know, plays Busan, I, I'm worried that something might happen. But then after that, I see he's signed up for Charlottesville, which is a little surprising because I figured maybe he was going to stay in Japan uh, in November. But, you know, that doesn't really exclude itself. Like, he can, he can still... Uh, he doesn't have to start with Yokohama. Uh, but yeah, sure. Um, even if he doesn't do it before the end of the year, obviously he does it in 2023. But uh, right now it's it's really important to get there before the beginning of December to get an Australian Open main draw spot or at least get very close. Uh, and this win would have been very helpful for sure. Even if in the long run it doesn't really matter, it, it would have been super helpful. So um he has to be a bit bummed about it, but as you said, the, the quality of play throughout the week was superb. We are both afraid of Albot, and besides that first for second set, he you know just crushed him, and the match oh, against man. Mike Shag was was excellent as well. So um, yeah, reassuring. I th- I think there was also like uh, I think there was a quote from him about that loss to Nam, where he said that he was still recovering from COVID or or something like that, and still wasn't feeling, you know, all right physically, which probably explains the loss a bit. Yeah, that, that explains it for sure. We can talk about our semifinalists that we had. Uh, let's start with Michael Jacques, as we as we just mentioned him here. Uh, this week he beat. Jay Clark, 6-2-6-2, before coming back from a set down against John Millman, uh, beat Mochizuki, 3-0, uh, then a very tight tight match against Zibing Wu, but ultimately lost. First semifinal since uh, Poon, 250. Uh, first, first semifinal on the Challenger Tour uh, of the season. What did you think of your pick here? Yeah, very, uh, just very solid form in recent weeks, clearly. He hasn't played many challengers this year, that's for sure. I think this yeah. was only his third. Uh, he had more of a main tour-based uh, schedule, which I didn't really like in regards to his schedule like right now, October. But he he's done well with it and actually very close to securing an Australian Open main draw spot himself. So that's that's probably his biggest goal right now and he uh, well he finished his last uh, 2021 campaign in october so there's quite a lot of time for him to make up for the points he lost there yeah and our other semifinals was duckworth uh, who beat my pick kovacevic in the in the first round uh, 7663 then he beat uh, hong chung uh, 6 and 1 came back from a set down against Marterer. To win 6-3 in the third, ultimately lost to lead two in straight sets. What did you think of Duckworth's third challenger semifinal since July? Funnily enough, I remember looking at the semifinal field and I was thinking, uh, okay, Duckworth can win it, Wu can win it, Mike Shack can win it. The only guy without a chance is Lee <laughs> <laughs> Uh 
And yeah, uh, to see him, well, it, it, it wasn't a bad match from Lagwerf, I, I, I don't think, but it was just a very shocking upset to me to see Lito beating, uh, beating the Australian here. And uh, yeah, I, I think you were very unlucky, honestly, because this was definitely the worst qualifier spot. And yeah, Dagwerf Kovacevic was like the, the match of the round besides Albert Wu. Yeah, I also wanted to mention Mochizuki, who made the quarterfinals as a qualifier. Uh, sorry, with straight up wins in qualifying over Genkil and Mansuri, then took out Emil Gomez, 6 4 in the third. Neukrist, 6 4 in the third as well, just, just the three games he won against Microjack there, but still a big win for Mochizuki. Uh, what did you think of him? Honestly. <laughs> did, did he do anything special this week? I don't think so. I mean, he, he beat Gomez, of course, but Gomez was uh, kind of barely on his... Well, just like Pirosh, honestly, both Guangyu finalists were dead in their first matches. Pirosh even injured his back again and was like crying when the match finished, which was awful to watch, honestly. And yeah, mm. Mochizuki Noikrist is not really a, uh, a challenger second round <laughs> most of the time. And Mike Shack just, yeah, didn't struggle against him at all. All yeah. right, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. I'm sorry, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I have an excellent track record at uh, being very, like, you know, belittling uh, Asian players like Chun Sitsang and Shintaro Mochizuki, and I intend to keep doing that. <laughs> God. Yeah, criticizing my, my choice here to highlight him even. Um, uh, no, if it sounded like that, I'm sorry. I just you know, no, no, I was no, just no, responding I'm, to a question. Don't think that he had an interesting week. That that's fair enough. Yeah. Uh, in the doubles, uh, we had Kaichi Uchida and Tungli Nubu uh, win their first title together after two semis, uh, which they reached previously. They beat Yu Seong Chang and Alexander Kovacevic. So Kovacevic was in a final, not that bad of a pick. <laughs> uh, we can move on to San Tropez where we had another qualifier win the title, Mattia Bellucci defeating Matteo Arnaldi 6-3, 6-3 for his first challenger title. He started with wins over Albrio and uh, Ben Chetri in qualifying, then he beat Wessels. Uh, after that, got probably his, his best wins over, his best win of the week over Grenier in the second round, beat Caruso pretty easily in the quarterfinals, uh, won a tough match against Rodionov, Rodionov in the semis, 6-2 in the third, then Arnaldi in the straights up 89 spots, number 186, breaking the top 200 as well. What did you think of Bellucci here? Yeah, this was his first outdoor hardcore challenger, which is pretty crazy. Uh, but he won, <laughs> wow. for, he won for ITFs in Monastir uh, for 15Ks on outdoor hardcourts. And honestly, it could be even a better surface for him than, than Clay. Uh, he has an aggressive game, but doesn't really have you know a huge weapon or in insane power. So I think it helps him to stay on top of the points. Super smart player too, like the the way he just uh, adjusts his game plan, and it's it literally looks like he's playing a different style every single match. Against Arnaldi in the final, it was just him slicing a lot and. Uh, pulling Arnaldi into some very uncomfortable positions and it worked like a charm and yeah super uh, the, the fact that he's getting his first challenger title on hard maybe shouldn't be that surprising when you actually watch him there but it's still 
quite uh, huge because you know he he hasn't really been very close to a challenger title this year. I think the the tournament where we thought it could happen was Cordenons only when he choked that quarterfinal against Vavasori. Like that was the closest he got. So only a quarterfinal lead. And yet he yeah, yet he comes out here and uh, just has a fantastic week. So that's, uh, that. yeah, I'm very excited to see what he will do on hard courts from now on because he has an um, excellent record in the pros, but obviously most of that is from the ITFs. Well, all of that, but Santropa mm. is from the ITFs actually. Yeah, I, I was also surprised when I was checking his record this season that he didn't have a deeper run. Like I felt like he must have had a semifinal mm. or something like that. Uh, but not yet. And, and I mean, we know that he's talented and he definitely showed it here. Uh, Arnaldi also definitely showed up this week, his third challenger final. He was dominant really un- until that final between Shevchenko 1 and 2, Mayo 2 and 3, Barrer 4 and 0, and our pick, Hugo Umber 6 4 6 3. Uh, so, you know, a deep run for him with some very, very impressive wins. Up 13 spots, number 141. What did you think of him? Yeah, as far as that Alicante semi was very easy to just diminish because you saw that who he played and it was Ulysses Blanche, Jesper de Jong and Federico Ferreira Silva. And then he comes mm. here and, as you said, crashes for extremely impressive opponents. I honestly think that Barrer and Umber played terrible against him, but maybe in a way that was also influenced by Arnaldi. We talked about how well balanced his game is last week. Definitely showed it. He 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 generally has a lot of intent to be aggressive and try, even if it's sometimes failing. Like it, it's a good quality to have, I think. And uh, yeah, a, a super positive week and much much better than the the one that he had in Alicante, simply because the the quality of the opposition was so much different. Yeah, as for semi-finals, we had uh, Ugo Umber. As I mentioned, he was uh, our pick for the title. Um, another week that he reaches the semi-final, and I guess he has to be disappointed with it, even though it's his fifth one since July. Uh, he beat Locoli, Travaglia, and Roye, uh, losing to Arnaldi there. What did you think of Umber? Yeah, that's I think that's six consecutive challenger quarterfinals by now, which is impressive. For sure, but also, yeah, he only won one of these, and as a as the sort of caliber of a player he's aspiring to be, it has to be slightly disappointing, especially as he just crushed Royer, who was at, until that point honestly looking quite great. Uh, and and yeah, I just don't think he played well against Arnaldi. The the forehand was so inconsistent. Uh, I also did not mention that Arnaldi's serve looked quite huge this week, which was which was a bit of a surprise and definitely a factor in that uh, Umber win as well. I'm not sure if he faced like breakpoint any breakpoints, but there was a lot more play happening on Arnaldi's serve on Umber's serve than Arnaldi's, which is kind of surprising. Yeah, our other semifinals was Rodionov, who beat Kukushkin, Krutich, and Markora. His fourth challenger semifinal of the season. Two of them were titles. I forgot that he won two titles this season already, to be honest. Uh, uh, in Hausen, Biel and now Biel. Biel, yeah, over the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was his first uh, semifinal since Mauthausen, which was back in May. What did you think of Rodionov this week? Yeah, it definitely hasn't felt like Rodionov won two challenger titles this year. 
um if if you asked me i probably would come up with this like you know, after a minute or something but still like the, the fact that he's won it and doesn't really feel like he you know made much progress or, or whatever um I guess I'm not too surprised he was in the semis here though because the, the draw he had was was very pleasant. Uh had to stop Roberto Marcora from co completing history, which we all all are uh, you know paid him for, sort of. Uh yeah. Uh I, I, I honestly don't know not sure what to talk about when it comes to Rodionov. And I've had this for a while because he just um yeah as you said he he claimed two challenger titles this year which is wild because it, it, in my head it's really been a very unimpressive campaign for him and that's clearly wrong but yeah somehow mm. it's just sticking in my mind like that yeah it's definitely a very puzzling uh season that's for sure you mentioned him just now but i also want to talk about roberto marcora uh <laughs> beat tabur and betasco before losing to rodionov He's been, you know, semi-retired. Uh, I mean, he came back out of retirement in in June to play Wimbledon qualifying, uh, but I guess we expect him to just sort of pick up those pick up those checks at uh, Slam qualifying, which are, you know, fair enough for him. Uh, but yeah, his first quarterfinal since April last season. What did you think of Marcora here? Well, I, I knew that it was it probably wasn't happening, but you know, it, it would have been a fantastic story if he did it. He went zero out of five in challenger finals in his career. It's actually the most out of active players. I think two other players are at four, and that's Hugo Gaston and Breider Schnur, I believe. Yannick Madden retired this year. He was at seven. Uh, so for Marcora to come out of retirement and win a challenger would have been so huge, but he needed a lot of help. Like, even though the theoretically the most dangerous guys out like Barrer, Umber, Grenier. Do we really think he was getting through Rodionov, Berucci, Arnaldi? Nah. Hmm. Yeah, that, that I mean, like, it, it was never really going to happen for Marcora here, let's be honest, but it was definitely nice to dream. Uh, in the doubles, we had Adet and Olivetti winning their second challenger title of the season. Uh, it was a wild run for them, saving three match points in the semis and then one match point in the final against Arnaldo and Weisborn. Uh, and we can move on to Rio, where you got your first point of the week, uh, implying that you got more than one point, which you did. Uh, a very impressive week from you. And it was Marco Cecchinato, the champion, the third seed, beating eighth seed, Yannick Hanfman, 4-6, 6-4, 6-3. Uh, his seventh challenger title, 7-9 in finals. Second uh, this month uh, with with the Lisbon final finishing in October. This week he beat Vianova, Jakub Paul, uh, then Puccino de Almeida in a third set tiebreak. Came back from uh, one six. Uh, we came back from one six set against Korea, and then beat Hafan here as well from a set down. Uh, up 19 spots, number 98 in the rankings, back in the top 100 for the first time since April. After his horrid, horrid first half of this, <laughs> this is unbelievable for Cecchinato. What did you think of this run and his season overall? Yeah, zero out of eleven until May, uh, which was which was just absurd. And now he's back to like a lot more than positive win rate. Uh, two challenger titles in his last three challengers, and you know one of them was mostly well, he was tired again after after winning. 
in Parma mm. or wherever he played Magher. Uh, yeah, uh, superb comeback against Korea as well in the third set. And uh, Hanfman is such a tough matchup for for Cecchinato. He's always been like he was zero three against him. Uh, I think that combination of like having a better serve, more three points than Cecchinato, plus also hitting a very heavy ball is just not allowing Cecchinato to have much freedom to, you know, to employ that variety, the creativity that he has. And I think it's been a very rough one for for checking out over the years. So to come through there is also you know much more impressive and much more important for him too. He can you know he he's getting close to potentially even fighting for a top one hundred finish this year, which after not getting a single win until May is actually mightily impressive. Yeah, for sure. As for Hanfman, his ninth challenger final first one since August twenty twenty. Uh, so the first one that we've been doing this podcast, really, uh, which was really interesting. Yeah. He, he was uh, dominant until the final beating Reza Silva, 6-1, 6-1, last week's champion. Koinski, 2-4, last week's finals. Varias, 3-2. Alexander Muller in the semis, 3-3. Three three. Moves up 11 spots, number 155. What did you think of Hanfman? What do you think that changed for him this week to be able to make this run? He was definitely serving extremely well, which is why I'm not a little surprised not to see him on the entry list in Ambato next week because on altitude, I mean, he, he excels at altitude, right? Even this mm-hmm. year, he had excellent runs in Kitzbühel and Kstadt. And actually, this was like the only good run he had before this week. Uh, also, the Australian Open second round yeah. from the qualities. But in general, it was a very inconsistent season from him. And yeah. Uh, this fi- finally a good result in his South American swing because that also wasn't going well. Although in the final, I think mentally he was a bit too much of a mess. As for semifinalists, uh, we had Alexander Muller reach the semifinals here, beating Rodriguez Taverna, Subinagal, and Luciano Datteri, his fifth semifinal of the season on the Challenger Tour. What did you think of the Frenchman this week? Yeah, his South American swing also wasn't that impressive, right? I mean, he he made the quarterfinals, I guess, in Campinas, and that was only his second challenger. Ah, you know my opinion, Alexander. <laughs> By the way, he also plays like every week. <laughs> I think he, he played, like, yeah. I think he played three Bundesliga matches in the meantime. But other than that, it's just uh, thirty-one losses already and one title that he won. Some of these players are really crazy in overplaying, and then you complete. Then you constantly hear that the season is too long. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, the players want it to be as long, most mostly. And yeah, uh, when it comes to players, yeah. players on this level, anyway, for sure, um, that, that's mm-hmm. definitely true. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah, uh, we also had Federico Coria uh, reaching the semifinals, beating Alameda. Then uh, Juan Bautista Torres uh, in a third set tiebreaker defeated my pick as well, Juan Manuel Serundolo, six three in the third uh, before losing to Chequinato. Third challenger semifinal of the season only for Korea. What did you think of him this week? Yeah, you were kind of unlucky there because uh, he easily could have lost Torres and he was that low intensity, uh, no determination version of him again that we've been seeing in the past couple of weeks. And then he randomly peaks for the matches against Serundolo and Chakinato. So, well, maybe not peaks, but maybe that's a stretch. 
just plays much the upper level. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So, so yeah. kind of lucky for you yeah, for sure. Um, in the doubles, we had Guido Andreozzi and Guillermo Duran with their fourth challenger title of the season. Did not drop a set this week, beating Trzebiecki and Jakub Paul, uh, who had just one win uh, this week and two yeah. walkovers in the final. Uh, so yeah, probably, I, I mean, they, they were the top two seeds in the draw, but <laughs> not really tested before going to the final there. Yeah, kind of also shows you that you can actually, like, going to South America as a European doubles specialist, could actually yeah, be like the way to go, yeah. Because th these were the only two decent pairings in the tournament, I think. Maybe Matuszewski and Marino count as well. But you know, Androzzi and Duran are are definitely so much better as we as we saw in the final. It just wasn't close at all. But still, like this is this the, this is an actual idea, and you can get a lot of points this way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Hidalgo Rodriguez, Barrientos, Reyes Varela, who were so dominant earlier in the season, they're not playing these tournaments. Andreozzi and Duran are the really only, you know, regular serious doubles pairing that you see yeah, there. There was also uh, Arias de Bios in Campinas, but, yes, but yeah. not here. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I feel like it'd be a very smart time to go over there because you get, you know, a lot of, lot of free points. Uh, as Drevetsky and, and Paul found out this week, uh, we can go over to Fairfield. Where Michael Moe won the title over Gabriel Diallo, 6-3-6-2, did not drop a single set this week, winning his seventh challenger title, second one in 2022, won his first one, of course, in, in Kerry last month. He moves up 23 spots, number 110. This week, uh, he got a retirement after the first set uh, against Jub, then beat Kozbinov, Shang, 6-3-6-1, which is wild, uh, Riffis, 6-4-6-4, before beating Diallo here. What did you think of Michael Mo this week? Yeah, pretty much a spotless run, really. Um, before the penultimate game against Diallo, he was even unbroken for the whole week. Uh, mm. I think he was at like 17 breakpoints saved before uh, before the final. And then Diallo just broke him when he was 1-5 down in the second. But still, uh, yeah, just insanely dominant over the field. As usual with Mo, it's kind of hard to watch a lot of the time. He's just an errorless mach mach machine. And uh, by the way, Michael Mo played three finals this year, and all of them have been just awful. If I was to produce like a list, top 10 worst challenger finals this year, I think all three would have made it in easily. One of them uh, was because of his performance, the one that he lost, and the other because of what Diallo and Kepfer were doing on the court. Yeah, as as you alluded, uh, Diallo did not really show up in this final until pretty much the la the last two games. <laughs> last three games is when he started, yeah. you know, swinging a bit more five love down as as we sort of tend to see from players sometimes. Uh, but it was still a very interesting run from him. He started with uh, comebacks from a sit down against Riedi and Ben Shelton. Uh, then he got a very solid straight set win over Quaco, beat Ayeni three and one. Um, and sort of, yeah, as I said, didn't show up in this final, but he moves up 75 spots, number 250. What did you think of Diallo here? Yeah, we probably need, didn't need that, but if in case someone did, it's you know, it's proof that his Grand B run was no fluke. A uh, very fun semifinal uh, where both players play, are actually right now on the roster for uni the University of Kentucky, which is, you know, it has to be very rare. 
for a challenger semi, although Ayani, I don't think he's played there yet. I think he's just transferred from uh, Cornell for his fifth year. Um, but still, uh, a semi a challenger semi final between our, you know current college teammates. Uh, yeah, uh, just uh, a lot more, a lot more uh, time watching Diallo this this week for us for sure, and another uh, another signs that he's an extremely raw, but perhaps a, a diamond in the future, and you know we'll yeah. see how he how he does when he gets out of college, of course, but. Uh, this is really working out for him pretty well. Uh, I, I think, you know, if he played his best, he probably could have beaten Mo. Like, I, I don't think he's that row to for this match to always look like that. He also had like a big knee brace on his uh, on his leg. I'm not sure. Maybe maybe that was also hampering in some in him in some way. Yeah, let's talk about our semi-finalists. Uh, let's start with Ayemi, who broke a three-match losing streak uh, in the qualifying. Uh, it was very interesting as well because his really, really tough matches came in the qualifying, beating Blomberg 7-5 in the third, Kipson in the third set tiebreaker. Once he was in the main draw, he, he was rolling, uh, beating Pervolarakis, Holmgren, and Sandgren all in straight sets before his eventual loss to, to Diallo. His first challenger semi-final. What did you think of Alafia Ayani? Yeah, he, he he's very fun, you know. He just uh he goes for it. Whatever happens, he just goes for it, goes to the net, plays some ridiculous volleys. I don't think he's even that good of a volleyer yet. It's certainly something that he could still perfect. <laughs> but he just yeah, he 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 plays with in, insane balls and it's a fun style, you know. It, it's fun to watch. I don't know if it's uh possible to turn it into something more but we can clearly see that at the challenger level this actually has a chance of working and yeah it's uh it's definitely well Ayani is definitely becoming one of my favorite players to watch <laughs> he's just yes, different so. <laughs> different than anyone else really because you, you've got server volleyers of course but uh they, they still play in like a less chaotic way than Ayani for sure <laughs> Yeah, I mean, any match that he comes into, he just brings his chaos, and it becomes it becomes quite fun. Uh, our other semifinalist was also a qualifier, Sam Riffis. Uh, he started with wins over Pennington Jones and Ezekiel Clark to qualify, before taking out Stefan Kozlov, uh, coming back from a set down, then Langmo from a set down as well to win six four in the third, beat Calarno in the quarters, lost to Mo in the semis. Uh, only a second career challenger semifinal after. Uh, Orlando last year. What did you think of Riffis? Yeah, there's probably some improvement. I mean, not the toughest road, but the Galarno win. I think his serve was was pretty decent, uh, which you know, for for these sort of players who are good baseliners but don't get, don't get any free points is definitely one of the easiest ways of improving. Uh, yeah, he he was probably never winning this this event, but. Uh, certainly pretty refreshing to see him in a, in a challenger semi. Has that even happened before? I doubt it, right? Hmm? I doubt he had a challenger semi before, right? Yeah, he 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 made uh, semis in Orlando uh, last season. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I uh, yeah, there there was a semi in Orlando. That that first one he played after and after winning the NCAA's. Yes, of course. Yeah, and in the doubles, we had Cash and Patton take the title here, their fifth challenger title of the season. 
is from David uh, Chandrasekhar and Prasant, who've been playing together for a while, mostly on the features, but they've made the step up recently with their first challenger final together. And we can go over and finish with Ismaning, where you got your second point of the week with Quentin Alice, the top seed. And he doesn't really count if it's a top seed. Yes, it does. Uh, he beat Max Hans Rehberg, 7-6-6-3. His sixth challenge title, third one this season, seventh final this season. He's back to number one in the challenger race after after a bunch of weeks away, after he suited it to, to Kachin. 630 points that he's accumulated on the challenger circuit this season. Pretty wild. Uh, this week, he beat Hertz, then Ramanathan, 7-5 in the third. Alistair Gray in a third set tiebreaker in the quarters. Beat Juk in two tiebreaks in the semis. And Rehberg in that final. Up 12 spots, number 66 in the rankings. What did you think of your pick here? Yeah, 107 aces, I believe, in, in five wow. matches. And honestly, most of them were unwatchable. Carpet is... I mean, not not every tough. carpet court, for sure not every carpet court, but this one in Ispaneng is just tough, uh, especially matches like the one against Zhuk. Also, we, we could mention, I don't know if we, if we, if we will mention it later, probably not, but Reberg Ayupovic, the quarterfinal, was that, that same sort of mold as well. 24 yeah, straight. I have Ayupovic written down here, so we can talk about him as well. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> you have to watch a lot of these matches. That's for yeah. sure. Twenty-four straight holds, and I I like when breakpoints feel important. Like I I definitely enjoyed thirty-six straight holds matches in the past because, uh, well, they they actually had something at least happening there. And here, I mean, the match against Zhuk, it's just not good to watch at all. And it, it just, you know, you can skip to the tie break more or less. And the final against the Reberg until 4-3 in the second was going the same way. They were they were actually, after the first set, they were both at 100% first serve points won. It just makes no sense, you know, from a watching perspective. When it's one week a year, sure, it, it, yeah, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. But we shouldn't be adding cards like this. Slower carpets, that's that's fine, but but this is this is a little stupid. And yeah, all, all that talk about Ismaning being so random, and yet the top seed claims it. And this is all the, also sort of why, why I picked him, you know, because I just had no idea I was going to win it. So let's go top seed. But it's nice to see Alice uh, regaining some confidence on the Challenger Tour. He's gonna get a bit of a second chance at the main tour now. Although I guess it's not going to last too long, but he he will play uh, Mikhail Imer at uh, Stockholm. And um, I don't know, maybe with this confidence, Stockholm is pretty fast. Maybe he can actually do it. I don't know. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, huge week for Elise here for sure. As for our finalist, Max Hans Rehberg, uh, I believe he had a wild card to enter this event. He made his first challenge final here, uh, beat some big names along the way for sure. 
uh, starting with Mahach in the first round, then Robin Haas, Ayupovic in the quarters. Paul Spiegel in the semis, also a very impressive win. Uh, he had a nine-win streak going into the final, as he won a Futures uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, moves up 160 spots in the rankings, number 436. What did you think of Rehberg? There's just a really insane contrast in how competitive Rehberg has, lo- has looked uh, this year. Uh, like not this year in his pro career indoors compared to any other conditions uh, which mm-hmm. is pretty wild and i'm not sure exactly where that's ha- where that's coming from but he served this year uh th- this this year again this week and this money was just insane and uh up until that second set against alice and the free the break at three four he was not even broken um, I think he only faced one breakpoint, in fact, against Hase. Uh, and he's not the biggest of servers. Uh, so it's it, it's really weird how that came to be. But I guess everyone can be a servbot in Ismaning. But but his, his serve definitely stood out. Like It, it wasn't just the surface. Uh, also, uh, the way his shots, I, I, I think they just really enjoy the lower bounds. And it's not only about him uh, being very comfortable hitting of lower bounces, but also making it uncomfortable for the opponents. They're quite flat. He's got a superb indoor game, really. And and it's uh, it's quite wild that, to me that there's that much of a difference because I think in the juniors, he was pretty much all around quite decent, got to like top 30. Uh, but yeah, in the pros so far, it's just it hasn't been close indoors compared to other conditions. Yeah, yeah, it was a very impressive week from from Rehberg for sure. And by the way, uh, he had no top two, top two fifty wins before this week, and then he came out and beat Mahaj and Pospisil. So, pretty great. Yeah, uh, and we can talk about Pospisil here, uh, beating Florig Foretek and getting a retirement from Sachko in the second set. Uh, three straight semifinals on the on the Challenger Tour in his last three challengers, going back to Vancouver <laughs> uh, back in August. What did you think of Pospisil? Yeah, probably one of the favorites uh, going into this event as well. Uh, Reberg was just <laughs> almost unstoppable this week, so I think that's fine. But uh, together with Mulerone Captif and Tel Aviv, it just makes uh, for a really fantastic patch of play for Pospisil. And if mm-hmm. he keeps like that, if he keeps going like that, then he's gonna have that one last. Top 100, hooray, that we talked about last time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he's bringing that form that he had on, on the indoor hard course early in the season. Uh, of course, with the with the title in Kimper, final in Pau. Uh, had a nice run in, in Dallas and, and Turin as well. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm cheering for, for Pospinfield to, to get that one last hurrah, for sure. Uh, and we could talk about Katsper Zhuk as well, who made the semis out of qualifying, <laughs> beating uh, Fix, Stuart Parker. Uh, then in the main draw, he beat Escoffier, Decamps, and Yevsev. Yevsev, who, who defeated my pick, Denis Novak in the opener, lost to Alice in um, two tie breaks, his first challenger semifinal since March uh, back in Biel. What did you think of it this week? Yeah, for, for the sake of his confidence, he needed to win this. <laughs> like to 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 get to the semis here because after he landed in the draw and the fcf beat novak his draw just opened up so much 
and you know, Escoffier, Decamp, CFCAF. I think out of these guys, Escoffier and the FCAF can play on carpet for sure. But still, th this was this was such a good opportunity, and I'm glad he took it. Even though you know he wasn't exactly spotless, but then the match against Alice, just the two tie breaks. As I said, there wasn't there weren't any break points even. Uh, so uh, yeah, hugely positive week. I'd argue that it was even better like that than Biel because honestly, Biel compared to the rest of his season, it just felt so random that he was beating players like Kotov and Stryker winning straight sets. And uh, this, like, th this was more in, in like, uh, next to the level he's played with most of the year, but also, like, taking that opportunity that presented itself. And that's pretty huge, although I am afraid of for him because in Hamburg he's playing Yela Cells in the opening round. <laughs> so I'm, I'm afraid of another first-round exit. And, by the way, he put himself in a pretty decent position to fight for Australia which uh, before Ismaning was just super far away from him. Yeah, I also have a couple of quarterfinals that I wanted to highlight a little bit, uh, starting with Alistair Gray, who got wins over Horansky and Fatic before pushing the eventual champion Alice to a third set tiebreaker. Uh, this season he's had, uh, this was his third challenger quarterfinal and he's also had three ITF titles um rising to inside the top 300 pretty solidly what did you think of great this week and how do you see his prospects overall well he's got a very nice aggressive game great net net play uh i think he's he's just excellent on all faster surfaces maybe not grass apparently which is which is a little weird because on grass he well he still had that wind over over sang and played very well against uh, uh fritz in at wimbledon in the in the second round but most of his grass events finished in, in first-round losses. But uh, in general, indoors, he's he's been a force. Uh, also lost a quarterfinal to Alice in Sambria in April. So not not surprised with that run at all. I'm actually very excited for his Vilnius round one against Klein. I don't think this has to go uh, the way of the favorite. Mm. Yeah, and I also wanted to highlight uh, Elmar Eipovic making the quarterfinals here out of qualifying. Uh, he got two pretty impressive wins in qualifying, beating Donskoy and Rosenkrantz. In the main draw, he took out Bellier and Klein before losing to Rechberg in two tiebreakers. First challenger quarterfinal of the season for him. He already lost to uh, now in in the Hamburg qualifying. But yeah, this week pretty solid. What did you think? Yeah, that, that's that's quite surprising that he lost to Hazenab. Anyhow, yeah, yeah uh, I didn't think that Aipovic was going to do well on carpet because his strokes just need some time to produce, but he was actually faring quite well. And against seven volleyers too, Barrier, Rosenkrantz, Klein, who gets to the net a lot. So uh, Donskoy, who can also rush your ground strokes. So somehow he was able to make it work, and that was quite impressive. Of course, the serve is massive, which helps. All right, in the doubles, uh, Hetz and Niklas Salminen won the title, playing their first tournament together in their careers. Uh, they beat the more established player in Faller and Jebens, who played their third challenger final of the season. We can go over to match of the week and upset of the week. Uh, we can start with upset, if you'd like. Who do you have? Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of going for a wild pick here. Um, I know Lee Tu is an option. I think for the bookies in terms of singles, there's Nakagawa over Popperin in Seoul, which is, I guess, fair. 
I am going for one. That's I, I'm not sure if we've ever done that before, but I am gonna go for a double smash. And oh wow! So, yeah, it is the opening round in Rio de Janeiro uh, between uh, Gustavo Almeida and João Fonseca, a couple of 16-year-old Brazilians who eliminated uh, Piotr Matuszewski and Andres Andre. What was his name? Andreas Merino. Andreas, right? Alexander, sorry, Alexander Merino. Uh, and yeah. That, according to like the bookmakers in the European system, was an upset priced at 11. And yeah, uh, a couple of 16-year-old Brazilians basically beat one of the uh, one of the only like real pairings in the in the draw, which was quite uh, wild. And I'm really not sure how that happened, especially as uh, in the next round, Almeida and Fonseca won two games against Navona and Villanueva. And yeah, you very then, rarely see you very rarely see odds like that in doubles in general, like at least in challenger doubles. So it you know it really shows you how much of a uh, of an upset that was. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it reminds me of when uh, Nadia and Privara won that one match uh, in, in Bratislava. Of course, they're they're like I think they were seventeen when that happened um but yeah i think similar situation but yeah i i didn't think of that i went for marcora over vedasco in the singles big big surprise for me i think uh especially vedasco won the first round one and one so uh for those marcora there wasn't expecting it what did you go for with match of the week nothing yet could you start all right i, I can start here i already talked about this match a bit yeah i think i i think i know what you're picking yeah Oh, yeah, I, I'm going to go for Korea over Serundo. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a very high-level match. Korea, when he plays this sort of more uh, aggressive game that he, you know, a little bit, like, had to because nobody pushes more than Serundo, really. <laughs> uh, especially off the forehand side. But, yeah, being forced into this more uh, dominant situation in, in the rallies, it really suited him, and he executed it very well. Yeah, being being comfortable on the offense is definitely something that Korea has improved in. I don't know if this year or or maybe the end of last year, but in general recently. Uh, I think I'm gonna have to go with Ibi Gwar and Mike Shock. Uh, very fun, very high quality. Uh, you know the clash of styles with Wu just hitting the ball violently. Mike Shock countering of this. It, it was pretty fun. Just a bit too uh, too many forehand errors on Kami's side, and he was also complaining about the forehand a lot during the match. All right, and we go into our picks and previews in our winners picks competition. I have a narrow, narrow lead. Yeah, just one nineteen to eighteen. After you uh, got two picks last <laughs> this week, I, I didn't get anything. So yeah, I, I abandoned my approach of the of looking at the elo. I'm just going to wing it as I as I go through this uh, draw. So you know, picking based on vibes. That's what we'll get here. We start, of course, in uh, Busan, which is the 125 this week, and we have Sun Wukwon as our top seed with a wild card. He faces a qualifier and then Vukic or another qualifier. We have a pretty interesting first round in Maikajak against Marterer. Uh, winner facing Medvedevich or another qualifier, an even better round. Uh, then we have Chris Eubanks, who comes in as ninth seed after the withdrawal of Emilio Gomez. He faces Yibing Wu, an amazing first round. Uh, winner faces Kopeyans or Kovacevic. 
Christopher O'Connell is here playing a qualifier, and then Jisungnam or Kaichi Uchida. John Milman plays Dalibor Sorchina, and then Moria or qualifier. Chung Sing Tseng plays Yun Seong Chung, and then Li Tu or Cedric Marcel Stebe. Radu Albot plays Tunglin Wu, and then Skander Mansuri or a qualifier. James Duckworth plays Pomans, and then Hijikata or another qualifier. Uh, in the qualifying rounds, we have some names. We've got Purcell, we have uh, Yoris Delour, Keegan Smith. I mean, it's it's, it's not as strong with <laughs> Kovacevic now in the main draw. Uh, over to the doubles, we have Bambri and Mineni as the top seeds. Uh, we also have uh, Uchida and Wu, last week's champions, um, playing here as well. Chang and Kovacevic played a pretty interesting round against uh, Alex Lawson and Keegan Smith. Pomas and Purcell face Matsui and Wesugi. Uh, but back to the main draw singles, who are you picking for the title? Yeah, there, there's lots of good um, quarters here. Like the top one, I don't like the spot that Marshak is in, playing Marterer, then potentially Medvedovic, who beat him in Kozerki. Kwon is definitely an option. Uh, I hate the spot that Ibing Wu found himself in. Like, yeah. uh, if he gets to play Eubanks, Kovacevic, or even Eubanks, Kopejans, and then O'Connell after, you know, going to the final in uh, Seoul, I don't think he's getting through it, or at least he's not getting through it in good enough shape to go back-to-back, back-to-back finals at least. Um, I think the sensible option here for me is just James Duckworth. Pretty solid last week. I enjoyed the draw. I don't think Albot is that dangerous, although I, I am assuming that there would be some people who would look at Duckworth's draw here and say that Albot is there, but I don't think Albot is that threatening at the moment, and I am going to go with James Duckworth. Yeah, Duckworth is a very solid pick. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to pick somebody out of that weaker bottom half, good chance of making the final for sure. Uh, I, however, am going to go with Sun Wukwon, our top seed here. Uh, I like his um, performances that he had in Tokyo a lot, beating Deminor and McDonald Martinez took a set of TFO as well. Uh, and also, I mean, with, with how tough this draw is in a lot of spots, I like that Michael Jack is probably the toughest player that he'll have to face to make it out of his quarter. Uh, yeah, that, that second quarter looms very large in the, in the semis because whoever comes out of that is going to be very dangerous. But yeah, here I go with Sun Wukwon. Next up on my list that I have here, we can go to Ambato, uh, where our top seed is Juan Pablo Varias playing a qualifier, and then a potential rematch from uh, the final two weeks ago against Jan Koinski or Giovanni and Pecci Pericard. Also in that quarter, Gerald Meltzer faces Nicolas Mejia, and then Roberto Quiroz or a qualifier. Fikovic plays Reyes da Silva, and then Alvarez or Murkel Dejen. Milian Zekic plays a qualifier, and then Benjamin Locke or Facundo Juarez. Tiago Tirante plays Alvaro Guillen Mesa, and then one of two qualifiers. Facundo Mena plays a qualifier, and then Andres Andrade or uh, Sean Quinnen. <laughs> Santiago Rodriguez Taverna plays Malik Jaziri, and then Dmitry Popko or Otegi. Facundo Bagnis plays uh, Huetas Del Pino. I believe this is, is this Arcon? It, it, Arcon, it cut off yeah. here. No. Arcon. Yeah. Uh, and then Cayetano March or Nikola Milojevic. In the qualifying, uh, nothing to write home 
about really Gonzalo Bueno maybe but I don't know how he will do it altitude yeah. probably not his best conditions yeah in the doubles uh Balaji and Indonesian are back in South America to try and take advantage of these draws uh we also have you know Tirantes playing with Rodriguez, with Rodriguez Taverna Mejia and Kiros are teaming up the Locke brothers are, are back on Arias and Zebaios here as well um so yeah we'll, we'll see what what the doubles brings up but back to the singles uh who are you looking at for the title yeah it's quite hard because I, I remember Tirante winning it last year I think or maybe he won Quito and these altitude events always are a little you know they don't tend to go as we usually expect clay South American events to go Facundo Mena of course the altitude clay goat is always a possibility uh, Zekic, do you remember in, in like the spring how his serve looked on altitude? He was just very tough to sp st stop as well. But altitude is, pre is precisely why I'm not looking at someone like Varias. He's got a super tough second round against Patrick Pericard or Hoinski, whoever it is, mostly because of the conditions again. So I think I convinced myself to pick Facundo Bagnis. I think he won Pereira earlier this year, which was on altitude. And even if like, even if he wouldn't really be decent at altitude, which I think he's just decent. I don't think he's like excellent. Uh, the, the quarter he has is just very appealing to me. Uh, Rodriguez Taverna has been out of form and the rest are, yeah. Only Popcorn is really like a threat or anything. I think if Bagnis plays his... His game, he should easily get to the semis here. That's very interesting. Yeah, I'm definitely picking Facundo Mena on this two and a half kilometers high challengers, uh, especially with this draw that he has. Uh, Tirante, of course, looked pretty good last week against Serundolo, got a match point uh, in that third set tiebreak, I think. But he has been losing since August. He's not won a single match. Uh, and while I believe that he will get probably a couple of wins here, I have to go with Facundo Mena. I mean, as you mentioned, uh, altitude clay goat. Um, yeah, there's no reason for me not to pick him, especially with this pleasant, pleasant draw that he has. Uh, Tirante Mena was, by the way, this uh, a semifinal at the uh, at this event last year. Ah, that is interesting. Well, I mean, Tirante is coming in with with worse form by a lot, I think. We can go over to the to the bigger uh, uh, South American challenger that we have more more stars for sure I think in Coquimbo where we have Federico Correa as the top seed playing Alessandro Gianesi he will then face Navone or Torres Timofey Skatov is is here uh, playing a qualifier and then Comesaña or Kiker Chequinato plays Sevilla's Wild and then Buruchaga or qualifier Hugo Carabey plays Olivieri and then Diaz da Costa or Casanova. Agamenone plays the qualifier and then Vallejo or another qualifier. Altmaier plays the qualifier and then Coyarini or Dutra da Silva. Serundolo faces his, as I found out, nemesis, Villanueva, 0-4 against Villanueva, which is pretty interesting, uh, all on the all on the futures. And like three of those losses, the first three are brutal as well. He absolutely murdered him, uh, Villanueva, in each of those matches. Winner of that will face uh, Paz or Matias Soto. Echeverri plays Fernandez Flores and then Olivo or qualifier. In the qualifying, is there anybody interesting? Remy Bettola is here. Uh, we also have Nagal, Mirko Martinez, Jakub Paul, Rincon. I'm just really saying names here. 
in the doubles, Boruchaka and Diaz Acosta are the top seeds. Uh, nobody's really come and take advantage of this uh, challenger here. Koyarini and Olivo, uh, Matuszewski and Marino, Zhevitsky and, and Paul. Some interesting uh, pairings here. But back to the singles, who are you looking at for the title here? Yeah, I'm now looking at the matchup history of Koyarini and Olivo. Because that's quite interesting, but that was a long while ago, and of course, Serendol. It, it was, it was, but but I just found it interesting that he dominated him so hard. Yeah. Six two six loves six two six two six one in the first three meetings. Uh, I see some absolutely sky high odds on Fernandez Flores against Echeverry as well, like sixteen twenty at some spots, wow. and uh, Echeverry actually lost a set to him in Concepcion. <laughs> <laughs> But I remember he was like a similar favorite back there, back then as well. It was it was just uh, wild to see him do that. Uh, the reason why I'm paying so much attention to these players because I think I'm basically, uh, yeah, I, I'm considering Serundolo, and I'm considering Echeverri, Echeverri Olivo. By the way, second rounds they're gonna play for five hours again. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, I, I think I'll go for Juan Manuel Serundolo. Um, he played uh, just three matches last week. Shouldn't be too tired yet. Definitely don't want to go check in at all. I, I don't think he's capable of going back to back at this point in time. Uh, Korea, who I thought of it, but I'm not yet sure if his uh, improvement will like persist, if it's just not going to disappear in, in a couple of days. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I'm definitely picking Juan Manuel Serundolo this week. All right, I will go with the other one then. I'm going with Tomas Martin Echeverri. Um, Serundolo, if he gets past Villanueva, will, will be tough, but I, I think that will be a very interesting matchup to watch if Villanueva can hold on to this <laughs> to the streak that he has over Serundolo. It's, it's interesting. Echeverri's form, of course, this season has not been as great as last year, although in his most recent sort of Latin American challengers, Santo Domingo and, and Lima, he was pretty decent making the semis both times. Uh, if, you know, outside of Serundo, I really like the road to the final because I think that second quarter is very weak with Alvmeyer's form and, and so on. So yeah, Echeverri is the one for me here. All right, next up we go over to Hamburg uh, where we have Gregor Barrer as the top seed playing Rafael Collignon. He could then face Max Hans Rechberg or Billy Harris. Also in this section, we have Andy Glaxonen, like Alexei Vatutin, and then Karlovsky or Hassan. Denis Novak is here playing a qualifier, and then Harold Mayo or another qualifier. Oleksii Krutich plays Federico Ferreira Silva, and then Robin Hase or qualifier. Um, Foreitek plays Caruso, and then Aydukovic or Squire. Richard plays Moleker, and then Dominguez or qualifier. Yelesels faces Kasper Zhuk in a pretty big first round here. Uh, then Mats Morang or Nikola Kuhn, Celik Bilek plays a qualifier, and then Marco Topo or another qualifier. In that qualifying, as I mentioned, we lost the, the top seed in Ayupovic, losing to Hazem now, which is a pretty big surprise. But we could have Verbensky, Donskoy, uh, Jeremy Jan, uh, Jerome Kim as well. Uh, so some interesting names. In the doubles of this event, uh, Tred Huey and Max Schner are the top seeds. Uh, they're looking like they could take this but we have some other interesting pairings Fallout and Yabans and Yabans made the uh, final last week Brown and Lenz are very strong Cornell and Paulson could be interesting as well Kenny Desheper is playing with Lucas Sanchez 
Um, but we can go back to the singles. Who are you looking at for the title? Barrera is an option, I guess, but Colinho in the opening round, then Reberg, who's so amazing and uh, indoor, indoors. Um, that's not, I don't like that. Yeah, who else is an option? Because really, it's kind of hard to find anyone here. Like Juk says, do you really want to get into that? I'm not even sure who's the favorite there. Like, I, I honestly don't. It might be the poll in me. It's probably sells by just by a small bit. Um, last year, uh, last week, uh, if you remember, I uh, tried to do a hero call on Marco Topo in his, in his running. Like I, I ended up going for Alice, but that wouldn't have worked out. Uh, and I am not doing it here. I think I just have to go with Denis Novak. I mean, he lost to FCAF in in his running, but you know, carpet is weird and. I honestly am a little lost in terms of who who I want to go for. I think anyone can win this. Of course, not anyone. Like if uh, who would be like really surprising? I don't know. Molecker winning this would be huge. Sure, uh, Idukovic uh, with the year that he's had. But yeah, I'm just gonna go with Denis Novak. Uh, not much of an explanation. If he plays like he did before his money, he should do fine here. All right, I'm very surprised to hear this. I'm also picking Denis Novak. I, I had him written down here. Um, mostly as because I, I, I'm actually doing a pattern. I'm not sure if you've picked up on it. Oh, picked up on I it. did not. Uh, I think it's very hard to pick up on it because I just made it up as, as I was looking at this draw and I noticed some something in my picks. And what was the, uh, like, what was the, what were your other picks? Juan, uh... Mena, and Echeverri. Uh, so yeah, Denis Novak is who I go for here. I, I just feel like his indoor form has to kick in at some point. Obviously, last week we have say was disappointing, but indoor hard and carpet are two different surfaces. The draw is, you know, decent, I think. Uh, so yeah, Denis Novak, I'm very surprised that we're both <laughs> matching on him here. Uh, we can go over to Vilnius, the event that you're covering in person this week. Uh, so let's see who you'll be able to look at. Uh, we have Tomas Machac as, as a top seed playing Viktor Durasevic, and then Marchenko or Basic. Escofie plays Vilius Gaubas, and then Edas Butkilas or Johan Niklas. Gianluca Mager plays Maxim Janvier and Nazanin Kolaj or Kolofer. Nerman Fatic plays uh, Gabriel de Camps, and then Mattia Bellucci or another qualifier. Laurent Locoli plays Ramkumar Ramanathan and then one of two qualifiers. Matteo Arnaldi plays a qualifier, and then Ernest Gubis or Mate Valkus, which I'm it's it's a match that gets me excited. Uh Lukas Klein plays Alastair Gray and then Nino Sedarusic or Stefano Travaglia. Uh Richardas Berankis plays Ainus Sabaliazuskas, <laughs> and then Dana Dead or another qualifier. Uh, in the qualifying, we also lost the top seed here. That was Clement Tabor. But we have some names in Chem Ilkel, who's been, I feel like he's been absent mostly this yeah. season. Yeah, that's true. Mm, yeah, we, we, we also have Rosenkrantz. Uh, we have Poliak, Ben Shantri, Setkic, some names. Uh, over in the doubles, we have, we have Ramanathan and Shimon Valkov as the top seeds. Uh, uh, we also have, my God, Guillermo Garcia Lopez. He's playing with Vilius Galbas. He's coaching uh, Galbas. Uh, from last last month, I think they started their partnership. 
Is is Galbas any good? I've I've not heard of him before. Um, he was a decent junior, I think. Uh, but uh, in the in the pros, I don't think he's been doing too hot yet. Mm-hmm. He's yeah, actually yeah, seven. He's... he's actually seventeen still. So I guess yeah, he, yeah, yeah. But he's not really playing juniors anymore. But he was a top twenty junior at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I mean, seventeen years old, nineteen sixteen in futures. That's that's not bad at all. I don't think so. You know that you have that to look forward to for sure. Uh, we also have Berankis playing doubles with Edas Butvilas. Uh, Jacopo Berrettini is here playing with Luca Potenza. Just an interesting one. Uh, Arneo de Maisborn made the final uh, last week. Collage and Sharan could be somebody that could win here. Uh, as could I think Marchenko and Molchanov. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to watch them. Uh, back to the singles, though. Who do you think will take the title here? Uh, yeah, uh, as you said, I'm, I'm well, th- this is really a draw that should get Thomas Mahaj a chance to play for a top 100 debut, which I think he would need to win the title, uh, to do, but well, you know, the, the top half is, it's hard to find someone who's capable of stopping him really. I don't think it's going to happen in the first two rounds. I don't think it's going to happen in the quarterfinals. Like maybe the semis, picking Janvier, Mattia Bellucci, but that's that's going to be quite tough with uh, with all the accumulated fatigue. Uh, so I think Mahat should really cruise to the finals, and then probably play. I don't know, Berankis, Klein, maybe even Gray is an option. Um, yeah, the, the third quarter isn't isn't too too great either. Hmm. Uh, not really sure which one of these three to go for here. I will also say that besides Gaubas being coached by Garcia Lopez, Putfilas is apparently coached by Ivan Navarro. So they both have uh, excellent, yeah. well, excellent Spanish coaches. We'll see if they're excellent coaches, <laughs> excellent Spanish players <laughs> as as their coaches. Uh, by the way, a story that I should probably tell is that today at the, uh, well, I think it was a match between Katarina and Emery at the beginning of the, of this, of the day, because honestly the qualifying, uh, there's not that much to talk about after the opening rounds, uh, that the, the qualifying field isn't too strong. Uh, I do, I should give a shout out to Pius Vajdiekunas though, who took a set from Bostri and I'm shocked that he's barely winning rounds in ITF qualifying. Uh, maybe he just, you know, maybe he just found that sort of level with the crowd and and with the occasion. But uh, yeah, very lehechka like technique in 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 a lot of ways, especially the backhand. Uh, perhaps not as fiery and not not with that much explosiveness. But I was going to talk about something completely different. And during the match between Katarina uh, and Emery. I noticed a guy and I quickly realized that it was the 98 year old tennis player who is in the Guinness World Records uh, book. And uh, he practiced with like Zverev, Nadal, Radvanska, a lot of pro players in, in recent wow. years. I know he also met with Federer and he's from Ukraine. And in like uh, April, he fled Ukraine uh, you know, because of the war. Then I know he also went to the States to play some tournament for 90 plus, uh, you know, for player for people 90 plus, which is just wild that he, you know, he, there's actually a category like that in ITF. Uh, competitions yeah. because I, I, I they made it for it. I don't draw for it. 
but <laughs> that is pretty insane. Yeah, the, 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 he was like the, the person who asked the ITF to make that category. And I know in, in the States this year, he played a 90-year-old guy, lost 1-6-1-6. And uh, he was like, uh, you know, he was happy because he played well against a young, younger opponent. Uh, so it, it's crazy. Uh, the guy doesn't speak English. I don't speak Russian. Uh, so uh, it was very hard to talk to him. And well, I basically just uh, made sure that this was the person I was thinking of. Uh, it was pretty easy, though, because he was in a Ukraine tracksuit <laughs> and that looks exactly well. It, it, it's not hard, you know, to recognize 98 year olds just when you saw their pictures on the Internet. But yeah, that, that was the guy. And apparently he's been living in Vilnius for like a month or something. And even in the hotel that's in the next in the same building as the SED Arena where the Challengers played. A uh, pretty cool story. Uh, yeah, no, as as I said, I I couldn't really talk to him or anything, but it was it was still fun to see a guy that uh, well, I definitely didn't expect at at the, at the challenger. Obviously, a, a huge legend, really, and um, I admire the passion. Although there is, uh, I I when I started looking up things on the internet. I learned that there's an Australian guy who wants to play like ITF Seniors Australian Open or something like that. And he's like 99. <laughs> so maybe his record is going to be broken because I think the guy uh, turns 90, uh, like his birthday, this 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 one, uh, Leonid uh, Stanislavski, I think is his name. Uh, he has his birthday in the spring. So he, he is younger than that Australian guy. Uh, anyhow. Uh, what, what was I even talking about? Yes, the winner pick. If it's is it Berankis, is it Klein, isn't Mahach? I don't want to pick Klein because he's playing gray. I heard uh, something about Berankis that well, he was uh, even considering like finishing his season, and this is probably the last event he will play, uh, and that he only plays it because you know it's it's a challenger in his hometown, and Lithuania has never had a challenger before. Uh, by the way, yeah. the 91st country to, to do that. So I'm not sure how fit he will be. I'm not sure how motivated he will be. I, I am just going to go for Thomas Mahaj, I think. I, I, I just feel very strongly about the fact that he should reach the final. All right. Yeah, I mean, Mahaj is a very strong pick, but in order to complete uh, my pattern, I have to pick Lukash Klein uh, to beat Alistair Gray. The, what the hell was the pattern? <laughs> Uh, I picked uh, the the seeds one through five. A uh, first seed ah. in quality, Novak, fourth seed Mena, fifth seed Klein. Uh, okay, but, I, not, I, I but not in order, no. right? Not even in order. No, no, no. no okay. No. no, it was one four five. Anyway, th this to be just told me about Berankis makes me feel a lot better about it because I felt like Berankis could be very dangerous. Gray is also a, a really tough first round, of yeah. course. Yeah, Mahaj to me feels like the I would yeah overwhelming favorite maybe. Uh, it, it feels like he should win this event, um, and and if he doesn't, maybe there's some you know mental things play, playing on him with this <laughs> top one hundred thing. Who knows? Uh, but level wise, he should he is the best player in the draw for sure. I think Tomas Mahaj. Yeah, we've definitely heard of players who came close to the top 100 and like any any time they got close they were incredibly tight on the court and uh we i don't think we have enough info to know whether it's happening with Mahat yet both briant and reberg were just you know 
insane performances by the underdogs. But yeah, it, it is a concern that uh, in the next few weeks we should sort of uh, be able to either just fend off or realize that it's actually the case. Yeah, but as uh, I think this is where we finish then. Uh, thanks for thanks for staying with us. Thanks for listening about the five events that happened and about the five events that will happen uh, next week. We'll be we'll be back, of course, and yeah, see you when we talk about uh, the events of Vilnius, Rio, Ambato, Coquimbo, Hamburg, and Busan. Bye. Thank you.